Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Today, we're coming to the conclusion of this series called Inside Out. So far, we've taken on the emotions of anxiety, anger, bitterness, and sadness. And what we've discovered during this series is a very important truth. And if you follow along on the outline, it'll be the first thing on your outline. That we've seen that while all the emotions that we experience are natural, we can live in the supernatural by trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've missed any of these uh, messages, I would encourage you to watch them online or on the New Life app because this series is an integrated whole. However, what we're going to talk about today is a standalone thing. We're going to talk about two more emotions agitation and restlessness. Agitation and restlessness. We live in a culture that leans toward that. We get up early in the morning. We stay awake till late at night. We are not comfortable if we're not doing something. We get a little bit guilty in, in our inside if we aren't always active. We can't stand silence. In fact, if it lasts for more than 30 seconds, most of us are looking for some earbuds so that we can listen to some music or something like that. And culturally speaking, this is a very frenetic culture, very busy culture. And uh, one of the things that I'd like to focus on today is how God created us. He didn't really create us for 24-7 activity. Here it is. The truth is God created us for rhythms of work and rest. And when they're out of rhythm, we experience agitation and restlessness. Now, a few weeks back when I talked about anger, inappropriate anger, I said, I have a lot of experience with inappropriate anger. In fact, I'm a genuine expert when it comes to that. I was born into a family that was like that. I grew up to be like that. And until about 11 years ago, I demonstrated that even sometimes, I'm not bragging, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying the facts. I, I exercise it even sometimes when I was preaching. Um, but thankfully, the supernatural power of God overcame that anger for the most part. And so I'm living more from the inside than the outside when it comes to that particular emotion. But not so much when it comes to this agitation and restlessness being coming overcome with patience. I don't know too many of you who know me well who would say, Chris, I've never seen you impatient. <laughs> I've never seen you agitated or restless. And, and, and again, I, I'm just telling you, the way it is, I know the key, we know the key, the key is to yield to the Holy Spirit and let Him replace the desires of the sinful nature with the fruit of the Spirit. Yet moving to that in this area has been more challenging to me than just about any area. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the take-home point first, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about why maybe that's true. So the take-home point, for those of you who are new with us, is the one point that I'm going to make in the message from Scripture that we are going to take home with us, hopefully, and seek to live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. So here it is. Agitation and restlessness are natural. Patience is supernatural. So, has anybody here ever experienced agitation and restlessness? Raise your hand if you've ever experienced it. Oh, all of you are awake at this service. I had some people at the 830 who didn't raise their hand. I assume they were sleeping. Okay, so... We've all experienced it. We live in a culture that tends in that direction. For example, if you've ever been to Cambodia, and I'm not talking about Phnom Penh, the capital city, or Siem Reap, the, the, the tourist place where Angkor Wat is. I'm talking about a remote village in Cambodia, as I've done. And you've walked down the street. You're not in danger of being hit by a speeding car, somebody with the pedal to the metal in the middle of the road because they're late for an urgent meeting. That's because they don't have a car. 
and they don't really have roads, like we would call, and they don't even know the meaning of the word urgent. You, if you get invited into their homes, as I've done, you won't find the TV blaring, you won't find earbuds in the kids' ears as they're hooked up to their iPads or some other electronic device. Now, that's because they don't have TVs and electronic devices. Some of that's due to their fatalistic Buddhist culture. Some of it's economics. And I'm not, I'm not saying we're better, they're less. I'm just saying they're different than we are. And if we had to work from sunup to sundown tending our cows or our rice fields or whatever else that we were, we were doing in order to put food on the table, we might not be so agitated and restless either. But I don't know that it would be called patience. It might just be called endurance. And so if, if we look at this whole situation in the natural realm, what we find is that economic conditions influence what we do. When we have the ability to make lots of money um, and to buy lots of things, we tend to become more agitated and restless than when we are just seeking to survive. Now, I grew up in a little village in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, about a couple hours from here. And when I was growing up, there weren't as many choices as there are today. In fact, when I got up in the morning, get ready for school, when I came down to breakfast, I always had two choices, take it or leave it. And, and, you know, sometimes mom would buy Cheerios, sometimes she would buy Wheaties. When we were really blessed, she would buy Cocoa Krispies. But, you know, nowadays you go into the grocery store and there's ten kinds of Cheerios counting the knockoff store brands, right? And you don't even know what to choose. Now, am I saying let's go back to the 60s? No, I'm not. To be honest, I like my choices. I like my electronic devices. All I'm saying is the culture we live in now tends towards agitation and restlessness in a way that that culture back in the 60s in Gypsy didn't and the way that it doesn't so much in Cambodia in the remote villages today. Now, I've had 50 years of living as a follower of Jesus, and yet this agitation restlessness is still a challenge for me. So I'm guessing it might be for you as well. When I was a little boy, about seven or eight years old, I was watching Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color. Anybody remember that? Okay, you're all older than 25. Anyway, um, I was seven or eight years old. I was watching Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, and he was, Walt Disney himself was telling us about the amazing future world that I would live in as an adult. In that future world, there would be automation and electronics and robotics, and I would only have to work 20 hours a week. And I would have so much free time for leisure, I guess I would probably spend all of it at Disney World. Now, that's not what he said. Actually, it would be Disneyland in those days because they didn't even have Disney World. But the point is, we would have all this free time. So what happened to that world that Walt Disney imagined? Because a Gallup poll back in 2015 says the average American worker, this is part-time and full-time combined, works 34.4 hours per week. And the full-time workers average 47 hours per week. What happened to that 20-hour work week? What happened to all that leisure? Here's what happened to the leisure. Even though we're working 47 hours a week, we're still trying to jam-pack in the 20 hours of leisure that we don't have. And so our calendars are so jam-packed that we have no margin in our lives. And we're always out there buying the latest time-saving device, the latest labor-saving device, the latest money-saving device, and we go into debt to do that. Seems a little ironic, doesn't it? Now, am I exaggerating? Yes, just a bit. To make this point, we have manufactured a culture in which restlessness and agitation is a given. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this, He said, the thief, that is the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
You may have heard the saying, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make, keep us busy. Okay? The thing is, a hundred years ago, the saying was, idle hands are the devil's workshop. <laughs> you, you needed to find something to do to keep from sinning. And now we have so much stuff to do, uh, it's hard to keep from sinning. The devil's going to go on either end of that spectrum. He's going to deceive us and try to use our lives in a way that we won't become all that God created us to be. So, Pastor Brad said a couple weeks ago that when we're tired, which I'm thinking we're going to be tired if we're doing all this work and all this leisure and we don't have any time to sleep, if we're tired, we make bad decisions that can lead to bitterness, can lead to anger, can lead to all these things. So how do we know if we're too tired? Well, I'm going to give you a little test up on the screen. Here it is. If you need an alarm clock to wake up in the morning, you're sleep deprived. And that's not my opinion. That's the result of hundreds of sleep studies, sleep disorder studies, time management studies. And the problem is we look at that and we get agitated, <laughs> right? It bothers us because somewhere in there we're thinking, you know, you don't have time. We don't really have time to sleep. I mean, you can sleep when you're dead, right? Wrong. And if you're starting to wonder, what does all this have to do with living from the inside out? It has everything to do with living from the inside out. Because if Jesus came to the earth as a human being, the son of the living God, if he lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin, if he rose from the dead and returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to us, to the church, and he did all of that, then we ought to be able to live from the inside out because the Holy Spirit is in there. But what we've been experiencing over these five weeks is we've been talking about this scripture from Galatians chapter 5 where the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit and the sinful nature are in a war. It's inside of us. It's an internal struggle. I have it going on. You have it going on. And we're going to return to that today as we look at this you know, twin emotional challenge of agitation and restlessness. And what we're going to look at first is the guy who wrote the words that we've been reading these past few weeks, Paul, the Apostle. He wasn't always Paul the Apostle. He was born as Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jew. Born a Jew, he grew up to become a Pharisee. Pharisees, remember the Pharisees? They were the ones that Jesus was always having arguments with. They were the ones that convinced the crowds who loved Jesus and Pilate, the Roman governor who didn't care about Jesus, to crucify Jesus. Paul was one of those guys. He was Saul then. He could quote the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures from Genesis all the way to Malachi. He could probably quote every single chapter, every single verse. And he thought he was following God. And when Jesus died and allegedly rose from the dead and the church began, they called themselves the way at that time, Saul put himself in charge of a one-man wrecking crew to destroy the way. We all have read about it probably, you know. He was going around and he, was, he had the authority from the, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, to go out and arrest the believers and to bring them back to Jerusalem where they would be imprisoned or worse. Now, the thing is, as he was going from Jerusalem to Damascus one day, Saul had this amazing thing happen in his life. He met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in a vision. And in that vision... <laughs> He said, Jesus said to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And Saul immediately knew this was not a normal thing. And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And Jesus came into Saul's life in that moment. And Saul now believed something totally different than what he used to believe. He still believed Jesus died. In fact, every Jew believed that Jesus died. Many of them had voted to kill him. 
But now Saul believed that Jesus was alive again. That changes everything. It changed everything then. It still does. If Jesus is alive, if he's in heaven, and if he's sending his spirit into his church, then we have the same power that Paul had. And I just called him Paul. Why did I call him Paul? Because he changed his name. Do you know why he changed his name? He changed his name so he could talk to Gentiles, non-Jews, about Jesus. He realized that when he went into town and he was calling himself Saul, everybody go, there's a Jew. I mean, there's no more Jewish name than Saul, first king of Israel. So he changes his name to Paul so the Gentiles would listen. But when he did that, he was throwing sand in the eyes of his Jewish Pharisee brothers. He was ignoring his heritage because there was something much more important than his heritage on the line. It was a new life, an eternal life with Jesus Christ. So with that background, let's return to Galatians chapter 5, 16 and following. Let's see how we're supposed to live in such a way that our lives will be lived inside out and our lives will be different than the lives of the average person in the world. Before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and love. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died, that he rose from the dead and is with you now and is coming back. God, we pray today for your Holy Spirit to be poured into us that we can live that kind of life from the inside out that Paul lived and Peter and so many others in the early church so that we can be all you created us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul wrote, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Paul knew that struggle. No one knew the struggle better. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. In other words, there was pride inside of him. There was hatred inside of him. I mean, he had committed murder in the name of Jesus, or at least participated in those who were killing Christians. He knew that that was all inside of him. That sinful nature was in there. And then the Holy Spirit came, and he had this wrestling match going on inside of him. I mean, he wasn't automatically perfect. He told us he was the chief of sinners. But then, look what he said to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20. He said, it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, the Holy Spirit was living in Paul in such a way that when people saw Paul, they saw Jesus. That's what you call inside-out living. So Paul reminded the Galatians how they had lived as Gentiles, how they had lived when they didn't know Jesus in their lives. And here's what he said. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you're thinking, I don't see restlessness and agitation in that list, you're right, you don't. Restlessness and agitation are the result of living lives of sin. And lives of sin are the result of seeking to live a life of meaning and purpose. We were created for that. We were created to live that abundant life that Jesus came to give us. But the devil is always stealing, killing, and destroying in our lives. And so we substitute things like sexual sin or drunkenness or other addictions. And what Paul is saying to us is that's the way we all lived. 
We were all that way. Paul was a Pharisee, and so he would say in Philippians chapter 3 that he was righteous according to Pharisaic righteousness, according to the law of Moses, but he wasn't. And nobody is in our own nature righteous. We're all these kind of people. We've all done some of these things. Some of us have done all of these things. And the emotions that we have are not bad, but they contend in that direction to the sins of the flesh if they're not guided by the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. So when we live in the Holy Spirit's power, um, when we've received the resurrected life of Jesus, oh, I have to pass along one verse that I skipped over. I'm going to go back, Lucy. Back where it says, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. Okay, that's verse 18. The only reason I want to go back there is because Paul is telling Gentiles, people who never followed the law of Moses, that you don't have to follow the law of Moses. Why would he do that? Because everywhere Paul went, after he preached this gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, a group of people called the Judaizers came along. They were Christians who said that you have to follow all 613 laws in the law of Moses before you can follow Jesus. And what Paul said is, how crazy is that? You received Jesus Christ in your life as Savior and Lord. You were transformed from the inside out. You started living this new kind of life, and now you want to follow the the rules? You don't even need the rules if you're following life in the Holy Spirit. So now we pick up what happens when the Holy Spirit's inside. It says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Paul knew that because he had experienced it. Paul was not teaching a college course here. Paul was saying, look, folks, I've lived this. You've lived this. You were changed from the inside out. You're starting to live this life in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all of those things. You've experienced it. Why are you letting these Judaizers come in and tell you that that's not what you need? It's what you need. It's what I need. It's what we've experienced. In fact, Paul says this is how incredible it is. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Jesus isn't the only one who died on the cross. Jesus is the only one who died on the cross physically for human sin. But we died when Jesus died. Those of us who have Jesus on the inside of us, we died to our old sinful nature. And again, this wasn't a spiritual theory that Paul was testing out. (laughs) He had experienced it to the point that he could say, it's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And that's the goal of all of our lives, that we let the Holy Spirit live in such a powerful way in our lives that whatever our emotion that gets out of control is, that it's overcome by one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. When I wrote my doctoral thesis back in the day, the focus was, it was actually titled, Caught or Taught? High School Ministry in the Church. And the point of those hundreds of pages was this, We experience the new life in Jesus Christ more through others who are living it than through the Bible and books that are written about it. No, I wasn't saying we don't need the Bible. I wasn't saying that that Christians shouldn't write Christian books. What I was saying was that the life of the one teaching a high school student in the church is more important to whether that high school student is going to see Jesus than the words that they read in the Bible or any other book. And the reason I believe that is because Paul taught it and Jesus taught it and because I saw it lived out. The first person who ever lived Jesus for me was my mom. And then it was Bernadine Lockard, my second grade Sunday school teacher. It was my Uncle Chuck, who was a mine foreman 
but who loved Jesus. And, and when he prayed, I was like, whoa, he knows God personally. He's the first person I ever experienced that from. And I said, I want to pray like that. And as I grew up, there were more people. And some of you are that kind of people for me. And what Paul was saying is, when we live our lives in that kind of a way, people know the difference. You see, what I seek to do is to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit have control in my life. Because when people see me living without anger or living with patience, they will know that's not me. People know. People know what's not you, right? I mean, in a good sense, when, when you're showing love when you've never shown love before, when you're showing patience you've never been patient before, people will go, what's wrong with you? It's not what's wrong, it's what's right. And that's what Paul is talking about. So the reason that it's still easier for me to live in this agitation and restlessness after all these years instead of in patience is because the supernatural ways do not push and shove like the natural ways. The supernatural ways of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit waits for me to yield. He never pushes me down. But the natural ways, they push. They fight. They sh- they, they're always pushing after us. And, and here's the thing. We don't have to follow. The devil is still trying to steal, kill, and destroy in our lives. But we don't have to go along with that. In fact, Paul wrote to another church, the church in Philippi, and he said this to them about the struggles that we have in life, about the agitation and restlessness that are natural. Here's what he said. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for the Lord or for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything or all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul loved the Philippian church. If you read the letters that Paul wrote, you can see that some of the churches he had some struggles with, but not the Philippian church. He loved the Philippian church. And the church was so grateful for what God had done in showing them Jesus through Paul's ministry that when Paul left, they sent money with Paul so that he could start new churches, so that he didn't have to waste time building tents to make money so that he could support himself. They supported him. And what Paul is saying is, you haven't been able to do that for a while, but I know that you still love me. You see, when we don't have financial support in our lives, it can tend towards agitation and restlessness, right? But Paul realized something. It didn't matter if he didn't have the the stuff. It didn't matter if his stomach was empty or full. It didn't matter if he had plenty or little. It didn't matter if he had suffering or pleasure because he had come to realize that if your stomach is full and your house has everything you need and your 401K is maxed out, that doesn't bring the life that is truly life. That doesn't bring abundant life. Jesus does. In fact, he said the key to living supernaturally is to be content with whatever we have. Paul wanted us to understand there will be times in our lives when we have everything we need, and that won't be enough. And there will be times in our lives when we don't have anything. And we'll think that if we just had more, that would be enough. It never will be. Because what Paul said 2,000 years ago is still true. I, you, we can do everything through Christ who gives us the strength. It always comes back to Jesus. It always will. 
everything always finds its way back to Jesus because Jesus is the one who died for us. Jesus is the one who rose for us. Jesus, as Paul said, is the one who reigns over us and prays for us. He is the one who sent the Holy Spirit to us. And so when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will overcome whatever it is, whether it's anxiety or whether it's anger or whether it's apathy or whether it's bitterness or whatever it is. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be victorious. Now, I understand I like having a full stomach. I like having plenty more than not. I don't really like to suffer. I had a migraine headache from 2 until 10 yesterday. I would have preferred not to. But what Paul is saying is, if our stomachs are empty, and we don't even have a house, and we're suffering in a way that we couldn't imagine suffering, and everybody hates us, Jesus loves us. And that's enough. Jesus loves us. And that's enough because his love didn't just, you know, make us feel better. His love changed us. The supernatural power of God in Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. So here's the next step for today, for this week. I will exercise patience this week. Let me define patience. It's not a dictionary definition of patience, but it's this. It's the condition of knowing that Jesus is in control whatever our situation, so we can rest in him. And that can only happen when Jesus is Savior and Lord in our life. So if you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, which means that he saved you from your sin, he saves you from the death, physical death that's coming in, the spiritual death, it's sure. Um, if you've never done that, if you've never trusted him as Lord, which means owner of your life, that when you do, the potential now comes for you to live this life, patience and all the other things that come with the fruit of the Spirit. And when we do let Jesus Christ become Lord and Savior in our life, what he called being born again, we have a spiritual life that starts to be lived on the inside. And the Holy Spirit starts to change us so that over time, as we yield to the Holy Spirit and let the old sinful nature be cast down in our lives, we will be more and more like Jesus. So it's really as simple and complicated as that. I can't make it any simpler than that, and it really isn't any more complicated than that. Victory over every natural tendency or over every natural emotion, over every natural condition comes when we live in the supernatural power of Jesus Christ, when we live from the inside out. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, the God of the universe. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who demonstrated your truth and your love, your grace and everything good about you. We thank you that we can have him in us. And I pray, God, for anybody listening online, anybody who's here this morning who has never yielded to him, that in this moment they would say yes. And God, I pray for all of us who have trusted you, been born again, that we would yield whatever we're holding on to, whatever emotion, whatever condition, whatever attitude that is not from you, that we would let go of it and that we would yield to your Holy Spirit so we can live in victory in this moment and in every moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.